Peace be with you. Lord, thank you so much for this great reminder through song that it's all about you. Thank you for recentering us. And I pray for those who are not yet recentered to that reality because of life and its, its pace, because of life and its demands, because of life and its discouragements, because of life and its opportunities and blessings, but who, uh, who's gradually went away from remembering that everything is to be centered upon your son, the one of whom you have exalted to your, the right hand of your throne, the one of whom to which every knee will one day bow. And I pray that as I preach and as your people and as the guests here listen, that we will be able to, to do so, remind ourselves that the, the pressure is off, that grace has won, but also remind ourselves of, of the daily and weekly need for our rhythms to be centered around you so that we can hear your word. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. It has been an observation uh, that some have made and that I've made that English-speaking foreigners who visit America um, often point out that our marketing and our advertisement is, uh, is quite unique. Uh, they, they point out that our restaurants, not even the, the best, but our, our food chain restaurants, our fast food restaurants often make big claims. They claim to have the best burger or the biggest deal or the, the greatest deal. And this is kind of ingrained, not just in the food and retail industry, this is the, an attitude of grandeur that is a part of America's society as a whole. We are consistently frenetic, looking for what's new, looking to be excited, hoping to laugh hysterically. We are addicted to words like radical, Epic, revolutionary, life-changing, impactful, transformative, ultimate. They, they regularly dominate our sentences. And though we might be a little jaded by these ads, it, they deeply impact the way that we live. We are looking for something that is new or looking to take something to a new level. And as a result, ordinary has come to be one of the loneliest words in our vocabulary, right? Nobody wants to be basic. Nobody wants to be ordinary. Nobody wants to live an ordinary life and live in an ordinary town and attend an ordinary church and go to an ordinary job and have ordinary friends. No, we, we want to be world changers. We want to be special. We want to be unique. We want to stand out. We want to make an impact on the world. Rod Juror observes, everydayness is my problem. It's easy to think about what you would do in wartime or if a hurricane blows through or if you spend a month in Paris or if your guy wins the election or if you won the lottery or bought that thing you really wanted. It's a lot more difficult to figure out how you're going to get through today without despair. And I often sense that 
American culture has deeply penetrated and impact, impacted the American church. We come to church expecting spectacular. We often come to church hoping that it's entertaining. We come to church hoping that we will hear a sermon that will be podcast worthy that we will never forget. We come to church hoping that the, the music will sound like something off the radio. We want big, big youth ministry, big choir, big faithful preacher who's world known, big things so that we can go to work and share about this this big church that we're a part of. But today we're going to look at a, a text which points to a reality of Scripture. That the way that God often works is not through the big and the spectacular, but through the ordinary and the consistent. That the way that God makes this impact in the world is through Faithful obedience in the same direction over a long period of time. But the way in which we make our imprint on the world and on society is not by doing something that is universally seen and known, but through small, often overlooked acts of kindness. The way in which we impact the city, the way in which we impact our neighbors, the way in which we impact our family and our friends by being faithful. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we see the Apostle Paul talking to the church of Thessalonica and making this clear, that God is pleased when ordinary Christians do the ordinary things that he has placed right in front of us. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to start reading at verse 9, if you stand for the reading of God's word. And today we're starting a three-part series At the end of this three-part series, we're going to have a bigger series looking at the life of David, Uh, but we have a three-part series called The Blank Church, The Blank Church, and what we're going to do each week is we're going to fill in the blank by preaching on a particular aspect of our church that we uh, feel that the Lord is impressing upon our hearts as, as teaching pastors, so The Blank Church, and today we're going to talk about The Ordinary Church. We're going to talk about the ordinary church, and we're going to see what the Lord has for us. Starting at verse 9. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Chapter 5, verse 12 is different in your bulletin. Uh, We actually printed chapter 4, verse 12, but starting at verse 12. Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. 
And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of practice. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the Lord has just really been impressing upon my heart for the last few uh, months and, and for, for a season on the importance of the church not being impacted uh, by this, this world, this consumeristic mentality, this mentality that tells us that we have to constantly chase what is new, constantly chase what is big. We have to constantly be a part of something that sizzles. We have to do spectacular things in order to, to change the world. Because the reality is that's not the picture that the scripture gives us of the church. The reality is, is that Jesus and and the Apostle Paul and the other writers of the New Testament, they are constantly putting before us a challenge and a call to embrace ordinary life, to set aside our spectacular strivings and embrace what is in front of us. In fact, there's two points that I want to show you today, the power of embracing what God has given you, what God has put right before you. And then second, the power of embracing who God has placed before you. The power of embracing who God has placed before you. There's a sentence that I I crafted a a few years ago that I've kind of hung my hat on, and I, I pray that the Lord would continue to impact me deeply as I was doing pastoral ministry, and I just began to search the scriptures to say, what is the vision, what is the goal for Christians in a local church? And this is a sentence that the Lord has impacted my heart that I constantly come back to, and I want us to come back to as a church. The church is a peculiar people living ordinary lives together with gospel intentionality, seeking to show off an extraordinary Savior. The church is a peculiar people. Peculiar uh, means, means special. You say, well, I thought you said we were ordinary. Well, we are special. But the specialness that we have, the peculiarity that we carry is not of our own merit. It's not of our own identity. It's not because of who we are innately or inherently as a person or people. What makes us special is that God's grace has saved us, that God has given us a new identity, that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light, that he has placed his love on us, that his son has substitutionarily uh, replaced us Though we uh, stand condemned, he has given us his righteousness and he has taken upon himself our sin. That's what makes us special, that we have been adopted into the family of God. 
but we are a peculiar people living ordinary lives. That God does his work as we live ordinary lives and we do so in community. In our ordinary lives, the mundane things of our lives, the everyday things of our lives, we do with intentionality. We do on purpose in order to show off an extraordinary Savior. In other words, God has saved us and made us his special people. But he often saves the foolish things of this world. And he uses the foolish things of the world and the everydayness of life to confound, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, those who consider themselves wise in this world. And as we live our simple, ordinary lives on purpose, trying to show off our extraordinary Savior, he is glorified, he is exalted. And so Paul is saying this to the church at Thessalonica, a church that is in a city that's important because it has an important port. So life is coming through the city, but the city is also pagan. They're lost. And Paul is is thanking this church for their faithfulness, verse 9 and 10, for their love for one another, but he's also calling them to love even more. So Paul starts this church faithfully preaching the gospel. Many Jews come to be saved. It disrupts this city. And in Acts 17, 5 through 9, we see that Paul has to jet out of the city because people want to kill him. Now, Paul says some very peculiar words in verse 9. In verses 1 through 8, he's telling the church to continue to press on to be sexually pure, to be distinguished from the world by guarding their bodies and living as a living sacrifice. And then in verse 9, he says something, uh, verse 10, he says something that we just don't hear a lot of. He says, yeah, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And listen to this. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. So this is Paul's strategy for church growth. This is how the church is going to make an impact in this city that is lost. By living a quiet life. What? That's not world changing. That's not sizzling. That's not. What we, what we hear and what we, we see on our, our Twitter seat, that's not going to sell books. Live a quiet life and mind your own business. Now, why is Paul telling folk to mind their own business? Well, see, what had happened in Thessalonica is that people begin to uh, overemphasize the coming of Jesus Christ. To the point they said that since Jesus is going to return, what sense does it make for us to work hard in our jobs and in the marketplace? Christ is coming back. And if he's coming back, then we should kind of just do bare minimum at work and just hang out. And Paul is saying, no, you guys are causing a ruckus. And living lives of discontent because your beliefs are are misplaced. He's saying having a true theology of the return of Christ should motivate you actually to work harder, 
And that's why he says in his text, make it your ambition to work hard. He's saying, no, if you believe Jesus is is Christ, then, then every part of your life should be intentional If you believe that he is going to return soon, then then every part of your life should be lived with a gospel intentionality. Work hard, he says. In Greek culture, for one to work hard with his hands in manual labor was seen as degrading. For this culture, for this society, what was praised was philosophy. And what one should aspire to was to become a better philosopher, was to become a thought leader, was to become an intellectual. Paul is pushing back against what they believe. Now, Paul is a thought leader. Very few people have made an impact on the world philosophically than the apostle Paul. But Paul also is a hard worker. He intentionally was a tent maker. He intentionally worked hard with his hands in order to be a witness to those who are around him, but also in order to to not be a burden to the church. So what Paul is saying here to this church is huge. He's restoring dignity to the everyday mundane job. He's reminding people that working hard with your hands is actually a part of God's will and God's design for those who are in Christ Jesus. In verse 7, chapter 2 of the book of Genesis, we read that God used his hands to work. The working hard with our hands is not something that we should just overlook, but that God himself does so. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God, out of the dust of the ground, formed man. We also see that Jesus more than likely, worked with his hands. His father, Joseph, was a carpenter. And in those days, most sons took upon the profession of their father. Jesus worked hard with with his hands. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, don't overlook the importance of being a good worker, the importance of taking care of what is right in front of you as a way in which God wants to use for you to make an imprint and for the church to make an imprint in the world. Colossians says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So working hard with your hands, working passionately with our hands, valuing what we do in work is hard because for many of us, we're not doing what we set out to do, what we would do if we could pick our ideal job and and be trained. So it's hard to work passionately at something um, and to give it your best try if it's not what you want to do. But the Apostle Paul showed us uh, the key to, to working hard. He said, you work hard as unto the Lord. He says, not working hard for, to human masters, not working hard to please a boss, but, but doing what you do as unto the Lord, to bring the Lord pleasure. Have you ever took time to think about that? That the Lord receives pleasure when you do your everyday task with 
compassion, not unto man, but unto him? That the God of this universe is pleased with you when you don't overlook the daily tasks that are in front of you, but you put your best foot forward, knowing that he is watching you and that what pleases him is everyday faithfulness. Jesus Christ, 33 years on earth, and we only have a snapshot of three years of his life. For those other 30 years, Jesus was faithful in doing his everyday tasks. That's what Luke 2 tells us, that he grew in wisdom and and stature and favor with God and with man. And we may not see the spectacular works of his everyday life, but to God, it was him being faithful. It was him taking care of for 30 years what was right in front of him. We don't work hard to appease God. We work hard remembering that he receives pleasure. When as Christians, we take dignity in what's before us. And why does that matter? Well, in verse 12, he tells us that in doing so, you win the respect of those who are outsiders. The way that the church grows is by not overlooking the ordinary. The way that the church grows is by taking pride and dignity in what God has called us to do. The way that the church grows is by putting our best foot forward in the mundane. So you may be looking at your own life and say, well, I I hate what I do. Reading mergers and acquisitions, this is not what I set out to do. I set out to be an entrepreneur. I set out to uh, to own my own business. Now I'm working for someone else and I just can't get excited about it. Or you may be thinking to yourself, "How, how is this good? Me working at home. Me, cleaning up after little people. Me, uh, how's this good? Me, fixing meals. Me, washing clothes. How is God being glorified? I was supposed to make a difference in this world. And I want you to hear God whisper to you, you are making a difference. It's not beneath Jesus. It's not beneath God to wash. God, every day washes the shore with the waves. God washed away our sins through the sacrifice of his son. And his son's sacrifice was not sexy. It was not sizzling. It was actually shameful at the time. And God used that. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Jesus said, the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve. It is in serving that people are impacted. So as you serve, remember that it's in the everyday, ordinary task that God receives glory, that you are setting the atmosphere. When you go to a store, especially in today's society, and someone stops and you have a need and they look you in the eye and they stop what they're doing and they affirm your dignity as a human being, And you ask them, can you help me to find this? I've been up and down the aisle and I cannot find it. And they take time to walk you to that spot. And they show you. And they don't do it with an attitude. But they're filled with grace and they walk away. There's a part of you that comes alive. There's a part of you that perks up. They took dignity. They took pride in what they did. 
And it's in the same way God is saying, you may not be where you want to be, but I'm telling you, I can use you where you are. And you are not there by accident nor incident. Come here, Joseph. Tell me about your life story, Joseph. When when your father was treating you better than your other brothers and you thought you were special, how, how did life go from there? Well, Jamal, I was put in a pit. And my brothers made it look like I was murdered. And then, Jamal, I was sold into slavery. And well, Joseph, what did you do? After that, well, well, Jamal, I just worked hard and I, 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 I worked for my master as best as I could. But let me tell you something. While I was working, I worked with a God-centeredness because I was tempted by my master's wife and she wanted me to sleep with her. But Jamal, I didn't give in because I knew that God had called me to be faithful to my master. And I also knew that God had called me to be faithful to him. So when temptation came, I rooted myself in the fact that God placed me here for a reason and that this momentary pleasure, though it seems spectacular, though it seems like it would sizzle and help my life to sizzle, that it wasn't worth it. And then what happened after that, Joseph? Well, then I was put back in prison And while there, I felt like my life was rotting away, but God used my time in prison and my gifts eventually came through and I ended up making an imprint. That's what God is saying. You right now, you might be in a pit. Right now, you may be thinking to yourself, I'm in a prison. How could God allow me to be here? And God is saying, I know it's painful. I know it doesn't make sense to you. And on this side of heaven, it may never make sense. Just look to me and be faithful. You don't know how I've calculated things. You don't know how I've brought things together. You, you, You only can see a piece of the pie. I see the whole pie. You only can see a piece of the parade, one float after another. I see the whole parade. You only can see your life and your circle, but I see the big picture, and I see how everything's working together for my glory. And trust me. You living with that perspective can not only bring you joy, but can make an impact. That's why Jesus said, wait, wait, don't, don't. He said, don't do what you do to be praised by men. Don't pray to be praised by men. When you give, give in secret. Don't, don't give so that people can pat you on the back. When you, when you fast, don't let everybody know you fast and let this be between me and you. Why? Because I'm at work and I'm doing some stuff. And one day you'll stand before me and it all makes sense. I've just got a funny feeling that when we stand before God in heaven, that what he's going to bring up to us is not the stuff that we think that he will celebrate. I've got a funny feeling. It's not going to be that sermon, Pastor Jamal, that you preached and, and, and multiple people got saved and everybody patted you on the back. I've got a, a funny feeling. It won't be that award that you received when you were in high school. I've got a funny feeling. It won't be you coming through and helping a neighbor who needed help. I've got a funny feeling. It will be that thing that you don't even remember, that you overlooked. It will be that time that you looked somebody in the eye who was having a bad day and who was breaking down, but you affirmed the dignity that God had given them because they're created in the image of God and you took time, just a second, to say that God loves you. And is there any way that I can help you? I got a feeling it'll be that time when you were frustrated working at home and you felt like your life had no meaning. And when you could have lashed out at everyone around you and given up, you kept going and you cleaned up the vomit and you changed the diaper and you cooked the meal for that fool who wasn't even grateful. I got a funny feeling. 
I got a funny feeling that the things that we exhort and that we exalt are not the things that God commands. I'm going to have to skip because I've taken most of my time, but I just want to summarize this next passage because God says not only don't just pay attention to the place and where God has placed you right now, but pay attention to the people that God has placed around you. And that's what we read in this next passage. The Apostle Paul is saying, y'all want to be a vibrant church? Be ordinary. Pay attention to who I've placed in front of you. Don't overlook them. Don't be so self-centered and self-concerned. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. So I hear the Spirit saying, put, put, put away your phone. Stop trying to build yourself in the sight of other people. Don't market yourself. Be present where I've placed you. Don't, don't go and try to change the world. Just be faithful with the, this day. Take care of today. Let, let tomorrow worry about itself. Don't, don't be obsessed with, with your world, but see that you are part of a bigger story. See, a part, see that you're, you're already a part of, of something special, and that's called the church. And the only one that deserves to be famous, the only one that deserves to be, be exalted, the only one that deserves to be given to the nations is, is Jesus. And pay attention to what Jesus has called you to do. And these commands that Paul gives here is really commands that we see Jesus making all throughout his life. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And right before that, he says, hold those who serve you in high regard and love because of their work. See, we're very tempted because of our culture and because of the way things, things are to make everything about us. Everyone exists for us. My pastor, our pastors, my community group leaders, those who serve on Sunday, they exist for me to make sure I'm happy. I don't just want to hear a word that is rightly divided. I want to hear a word that competes with Tony Evans and John Piper. I, I don't want to just hear good music, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, to sing to each other in hymns and songs and spiritual hymns. No, no, I got to have sizzling songs. I've got to hear something that competes with what I hear on the, on the radio. And I don't want you to, to come and, and to talk to me about how you're doing. I, I need you to stop because I got to tell you about my life. No. What Christ is developing in us is a gospel humility, Philippians chapter 2, that enables us all to count other people as more significant than ourselves. A church that's radically impacting its community is a church that is not looking, up, looking over the ordinary things of life, like being grateful for who God has put in front of us, being grateful for the pastors and the servant leaders of our church and taking time to say thank you, those who admonish you. Love John Piper, but the chances of him visiting you in the hospital is really small. The chances of our, our deacons 
and our 16 pastors visiting you in a hospital is greater. It says encourage them. Take time to say thank you. Take time to say thank you. I love what he says here. He says, don't overlook the people in front of you. There are people in your life right now who are idle and disruptive. And we think to ourselves, those who are disruptive, yes, we need to warn them not to be disruptive. But what, look at what Paul says. He says, those who are idle. Those who are idle. He says, those who are not moving forward. Those who are standing still. Those who are taking a break from fellowship, those who are not missional but say, you know, I, I've lived my life for other people. It's now time just to live for me. He says, Warren, what is Paul doing here? He's saying, pay attention to what's around you. Pay attention to what's around you. One of the ways in which we'll make an impact in this church is if we pay attention to the people who are around us. We spend time in the spirit. That's what he says in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with content, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. What is Paul saying? He's saying pay attention to the spirits working. Develop eyes of gratitude. You do that by praying continually. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to see his goodness. It says give thanks in all circumstance. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstance, but in all circumstances. Why? Because that helps us not to have a jaded view of the world. If he said give thanks for all circumstances, i say, Paul, that's tough. For? How do I give thanks for all circumstances when, when this bad thing has happened? No, he says in all circumstances. Why? Because no matter what the circumstance is, no matter how dark or how bad as a Christian, God still has us. And if we're in community, the people of God are still near. And that if God is for us, who can be against us? This helps us cultivate a heart that is able to rest. This helps us to cultivate a heart that is able to receive. This helps us to cultivate a perspective that allows us to live with a other-centeredness. See, when I'm able to focus on the Lord rather than focus on my current situation, I'm able to have peace. And when I'm able to have peace, I'm able to enter into conversations not as one who always has to be the one that receives, but as one who is open to the fact that the person stands before me may need to receive. But where's this coming from? This is coming from a place that says, Sojourn Community Church, I want us to be a place where people come and they feel welcome. And we're talking about, we've been talking about the isms. We've been talking about racism. We've been talking about uh, uh, sexism. We've been talking about ages, and we've been talking about all these isms. But as the body, we want to be a place where people don't feel hindered and, and broken down, but they feel built up, a place where everyone has dignity. I've talked to a number of seasoned saints who've come and who's, who visited or who maybe was checking out Sojourn. I'm going to air some dirty laundry here. 
But that's all right, because Jesus is our washing machine. Um, that was corny. That was whack, I know, but it felt good in the moment. But one thing that they say that I've heard people say is, you know, I love the church. I love the youthfulness. I, I, I love it. But when I go to community group or when I'm standing after service, I, I just don't feel like I'm valued. I feel like most people are just kind of looking past me. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm not their age. Or when I talk to them, I, I seldom receive encouragement because they're so busy just telling me about their life, they never stop to think that I've got some pains and I've got some struggles. A thriving church, a church that's making a difference in God's eyes, is pleasing the Lord, is a church that is growing in, in being less concerned as individuals with ourself and that's cultivating hearts of humility that, that's actually concerned with other people. And the way we do that is by, by spending time with the Lord and, and trusting that he's got us. He's got us enough that allows me to, to step into someone else's world and to see how they're doing and to encourage them. So that's what I want to challenge us to do, to, to not seek to be the biggest or, or the greatest or the best, but to be faithful and to be in each other's lives and to, to put our hands to what God has placed before us, believing that these small, often overlooked acts of kindness is actually making an imprint in the world. It's actually what God wants to do. There's a, a older seasoned saint that went to a, post office. She went to the post office and she stood in line for a long time. And while she was standing in line for, for a long length of time, someone came up to her and asked the question. They said, hey, why are you waiting in this line? Why are you standing here? Don't you know you can buy stamps? Stamps are to your left and, and, and to your right. And she said, yes, I could buy stamps uh, from this machine, but this machine is not going to ask me how I'm doing. This machine is not going to say, hello, I missed you. And furthermore, I can't ask this machine how it's doing. In the middle of this busy line, I figured that that woman that's working right there could use a little encouragement. And so I come often to give her a little piece of Jesus. That's impactful. That's encouraging. 